the larger the group gets, the less truth you're going to get from people. Because especially if you're the most senior person in the meeting, right? If you're the most senior person in the meeting, everyone wants to make sure that you're satisfied with the meeting because you're the most senior person. And for you to be satisfied, they're going to be guarded about what they say, and they will be exponentially more guarded the more people you put into the meeting. So I really try to keep, I I try to have cluster conversations, right? So I will have a one-on-one conversation, but if I need one or two other people, I'll add them in, but that's it. And it's not to exclude other people, but it's just because I find those cluster conversations are much more productive. People are much more honest about their views and it, it helps me as a leader make better decisions. And so you also want to just manage the safety and, and the psychological safety so people can communicate in a way that they're comfortable and they can get everything out that they need to get out. Well, today I'm delighted to welcome Melissa Romo to the show. Melissa is a veteran of global business, having held executive roles in Warsaw, Paris, London and New York for some of the world's most recognised companies. Across her three decades in marketing and advertising, she has been recognised as a global advertising and marketing 40 over 40, um, inspirational woman of the year and inclusive leader. She's built and led high-performing teams in hybrid and fully remote settings long before the pandemic era. Uh, Melissa's mission is to help other remote leaders like herself and their organisations unlock the keys to connection and culture, no matter where people work. She holds an MBA from the Yale School of Management, where she relished her coursework in organisational behaviour and leadership. Her clients and employers have included American Express, Grey Advertising, Sap Concur, Sage and Procter & Gamble. And when not on global assignment, she calls Hoboken in New Jersey her home. So, Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nigel. I'm excited to be here, coming to you from Hoboken. Yeah, tell us about the New Jersey. I've been I've watching uh, uh, Hamilton. We're big fans in this house of the Hamilton. Apparently, everything's legal in Jersey, according to Hamilton. So yeah, so it's fun. There, <laughs> everything I is legal in Jersey. Yeah, everything is legal in Jersey. I, I live a stone's throw from where poor Alexander Hamilton was assassinated by Aaron Burr. Um, really, I take my dog walking by the monument all the time. Uh, so. Yeah, it's right. It's right here. It's New Jersey lore. Wow. You wait till I tell my daughters yeah. that they'll be well excited about that. That's going to be brilliant when I chat <laughs> yeah, to them right, yeah. later on. So te- well, you're injured. Tell us a little bit more about you and uh, uh, a bit behind the curtain of the uh, the bio. Yeah, yeah. So w- what's not in my bio, but I always uh, think pe- people find this interesting is um, I never really wanted to be in in the private sector in marketing and advertising. I really wanted to be a diplomat, and right. I was accepted to the School of International Service at American University, and I took the Foreign Service exam at the State Department. This was back in the '90s when I graduated from college, and that was my plan to become a diplomat in the State Department. And unfortunately, I did not score very well on the foreign service exam. You need you need to know all about the kind of foreign policies of yeah. every tiny country all over the world, um, which I did not. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't I didn't make it through that gauntlet. And so I just went into advertising because I wanted to make some money, um, and it ended up becoming where I spent all my career. 
But here's the interesting thing is you never escape the thing you were meant to do. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because when I wrote this book, the the real driving desire I had was to connect people kind of diplomacy style, no matter where they are, what city, what country, you know, what, what, anything, what continent um, is how do we help people connect and create that real cultural connective tissue and organizations, no matter where people are working. And I feel like we've gotten to a, a point where that we've got to crack that because companies are fiddling with their models and whether it'll be hybrid or remote or whatever, but it, you know, the, by and large, we are going to be working in more mobile and sort of remote environments much more than we ever did before. And and that's not going to stop. I mean, you ask any economist, any expert, that's not going to stop. So it's really important to me that people know how to connect with each other. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting because I, I was reading through uh, earlier on reading uh, your preface in your uh, in your book and a lot of the things you were talking about there echoed with me. Um, there's a, a in, in my little tiny book there that I did on just dumping down my ideas on trying to help project managers. I had to put something in about remote work, working and the, and the and the pandemic because it was during that time I wrote it and and I could yeah. not and and so many of the things that you were talking about that I experienced during that period, whilst I'd been managing remote teams myself over many years of different size and scales and different. Uh, makeups that that intenseness of only remote um brought that in and and there was some things in there that i um that i did straight away because i thought oh that's going to be better that's going to be way we're going to make sure that people connect and it didn't uh Mm. and it exhausted me (laughs) as well there's quite a few things in that that did that so um it's it's the, I'm, I'm, I suppose to, for the listeners who are talking and the viewers who are talking about your book called um, Your Resource is Human. Have I got that right? That's right. Yeah. And and I think that's sometimes the the, the, um, uh, the thing that happens quite often is that people forget that we're just people uh, mm. and and actually we're, we're flawed and most of us are trying to do our best. Um, yeah, there's very little, there's, there's fewer, um, people trying to be Machiavelli than we suspect. Yeah. It's like traffic yeah. a lot of the time we're in the traffic. No one notices you there. And what they do isn't to you. It's just, they're only thinking of themselves and not thinking of you sometimes. So yeah, kind of, that's, that's what for I sure. Yeah. So that's t- for sure. tell us a little bit about, uh, obviously, um, the, the, we'd spoken about, um, sorry, we we got in touch because the book was coming out, and the one that came out uh, was, was was about a fortnight ago, wasn't it? Something like that, three weeks. Uh, yeah, uh, last week actually. Was it that? Yeah. Seemed, yeah. Well, good. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I saw the the Kindle deal on it, and I thought, oh, I'll grab a grab a copy of that as a tiny thing yeah. on it. And it it seemed it, that seemed a long time ago, but it's only a week ago. So I imagine you've had a whirlwind of a week. Um, yeah. With that, and this your this I your have. first first book. So this is my second book. Okay. Uh, my first book is also about connections, um, but it's a novel. It's a, a oh. historical novel called Blue-Eyed Sun. 
and is for sale on Amazon all over the world. So anywhere you are hearing this, you can go to your nearest Amazon and buy it. Blue Eyed Sun by Melissa Romo. And um, I published that myself after a you know, long process of pitching publishers and agents in yeah. New York. And I have over 60 rejection letters and, you know, a couple of people really close to being interested in publishing it with me. But I find that publishing is a very risk averse industry. Yeah. And if you are a social media influencer, you have millions of people following you on social media and you have a platform already baked in and you're, you're kind of an easy sell um, publishers are, are happy to publish your book. So if anyone out there <laughs> hears that and has lots of social media followers, that's how you get your book published. <laughs> so, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, that's how you get it published. But, uh, no, this is my second book. And, um, and, uh, it, I was, I was absolutely blown away that on launch day, it was a bestseller. So it was a number one bestseller in the category of human resources and um, business management. So that was great. And, um, I had, let's see, I've, it's had a couple of reviews so far. Um, it was a hot new release also in Amazon in the U S and the UK. So that was exciting. And my publisher was sending me screen grabs of, you know, number one book, number one, hot new release, things like that. I was, I unseated Simon Sinek on nice. the launch day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I hope you got Simon a screen Sinek. capture so that... of that one. I totally did. Yeah. There was a screen capture of Simon as number one and number three, and I was number two. And I put that on LinkedIn and somebody said I was the best part of a cynic sandwich. (laughs) So I was good. I was good. Yeah. Uh, So yeah. And the book has been covered actually in Forbes magazine and Inc. So there was an article that just came out from Inc today. So if you Google Melissa Romo and Inc. or Forbes, you will find that coverage. Brilliant. So obviously, yeah. um, people are reading it or buying it at least and, and enjoying it. So that's fantastic news. That's um, yeah. Just, uh, I suppose that the topic, um, how would you, what would uh, your one-liner description of what's in the book? And then we'll kind of dive into that that topic itself. And okay. Yeah. The one-liner description is our leadership skills for the hybrid era, right? When people ask me, what is this about? I said, well, we're in a new era of work. It requires new leadership skills, and this is what they are, right? And it's based on my, as you mentioned, several decades of experience working in global teams. So what's interesting is that the use case for this book a lot of the use case is remote and hybrid work, but where I developed the skills was being part of global teams. And when you're part of a global team, if let's say you're sitting in Hoboken, New Jersey, and you're part of a team that has members of the team in Australia and Germany and Japan and the UK, then you have to figure out how to connect over long distances and over time zones. And that's just the nature of being in a global team. And and my work, most of my career, my work has been like that, has been in a global team. And so what I didn't realize was I was learning these connective skills for many, many years. And then the, the pandemic happened and remote work became more predominant. And, and now it's sort of hybrid work and remote work. But it, it occurred to me that the skills I had built were perfectly applicable in the remote and hybrid environment, right? It's that same idea is it could be I'm in this apartment and you're in the next town over and we still have to figure out how to connect through a screen, right? Without being physically together. So it's the same principle. So 
so the, the one-liner is these are leadership skills for the hybrid era. So that's, you know, if you are working in a team and you're not physically with everyone, if you're leading a team and you're not physically with everyone, there will be something in this book that will help you connect. Cool. Cool. Because yeah. it's, it's funny, actually, because, uh, as I said, before, before and, and I know that we talked about it and that the pandemic kind of triggered some of some of this for you um and 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 timing of 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 uh not triggered it but you know what i mean it's kind of it brought it yeah. to the fore for, for the conversation it's yeah. brought it for the fore for a lot of us and and i i thought about it and i, and I thought well i've been in situations where and, and i think maybe that maybe some of us have different experiences i had situations where i'd have teams in india or i'd have a team in Hull in the UK and one team down south or one team north and and this when I was working at Oregon we moved to the point where 25% was going to be offshore so mm. you, it, it was in force that essentially you were working with remote teams slightly yeah. different in the engagement that you do and you suppose the fact they're there they're different time zone you'd go right okay I'm going to work at that time with them to blend over there and you, mm -hmm. you're kind of a bit more structured mm -hmm. whereas when you've with what we've got now where everyone's working at home um, and everyone's having those different um, kind of connections, it kind of made, it, it was difficult to um, get through that, but it was, yeah. I think I said to you before, it's, there were some things that I thought I would use. I, I, the, the, the main example that I found that didn't work was the fact that we got the technology, we got the video, brilliant. Mm. My video mm. was on all the time. And then I found myself exhausted from having my video on all the time because right. another way I describe it is that I was on, on, it, it was likening to being in a meeting and you are presenting or you're sitting in the meeting. Mm. Normally in your meeting, you've got 10 of you in there. Someone's talking. You're not the focus of attention. You don't feel like the focus of attention. And then as soon as you yeah. have the video on, you've got all your videos on. Well, you can see you. I can see me now in that corner of my eye while I'm talking to you. And it's very distracting. Um, yeah, yeah, I can see. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah. just do my hair there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just leant forward. I hadn't turned my light on, so I wasn't quite bright. And you're on. You're performing, and it's yeah. like leading a workshop, twenty four seven. And and I soon yeah. went, okay, I need to switch that off when I'm not needed to be on show. Mm. If I'm having a one to one conversation with one of my team or meeting someone for the first time, I'll switch it on that sort of thing, or just to. It's kind of difficult to work out when to do it, and that was one of the examples I found that I, where I got it absolutely wrong, um, yeah. and didn't know, and and it took me a while to work out why I was come out of the my office at the end of the day absolutely shattered. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's something I write about in my book that one of the big um, is you you hear things from. I interviewed a lot of people, and you hear things from the people you interview that always sometimes surprise you, and this is one of the most surprising. So I interviewed Scott Wharton, who's the GM of Logitech's camera business, yeah. which is a huge business, multi-billion dollar business. And he told, I talked to him about one-on-one -on -one meetings, one-on-one -on -one calls. And he told me that he does his one-on-one -on -one calls on the phone. He doesn't use a camera. Yeah. In fact, he stands up from his desk and he puts his you know, earbuds in and he goes and takes a walk. And that's how he does his one-on-one -on -one calls with people in his team. 
and he doesn't use a camera. And when he told me that, I, I was like, are you allowed to tell me that, <laughs> that you don't use a camera? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, he just finds that, you know, the, the, the desktop and the laptop, it's an environment that is just chock full of distractions, yeah. right? There's just tabs open, there's messages coming through and all this stuff. And he finds that he focuses so much better when he's not at his desk and he's talking to someone while he's on a walk. And he also told me something interesting. He said, while he's moving, while he's walking, you know, the, the, the landscape is changing, the environment's changing, like what's in front of his eyes is changing. And so he finds it more stimulating and he just feels like he has a better conversation. And so I, I think if we, you know, the, the rule about remote work, it, it, the, the thing that underpins everything with remote work is intentionality, yeah. right? Is do I use the camera or not? And then having the intention of why you need it or why you don't need it. Um, you know, do, do I need a meeting or not? And having that intention, how many people do I need in that meeting or not? And having the intention, the thing about working in an office is we could do a lot of things without thinking too hard about them because we were in the old days, we were all in the same floor and, you know, we could float in and out of meetings and it, we didn't have to really think that hard about it. And, but now when we're all compartmentalized the way we are, we if we can be intentional about what we're doing and when and how we're doing it, what tools we're using, yeah. it completely changes the experience and it makes the experience so much better if we're really consciously thinking of the tools we're using. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and again, I hear that. The, it's something I'd written just here now. I'd written different floors, Dane. And before mm. the, the necessity of working from home, I know there's situations where I was in a building where there'll be four floors and there'll yeah. be people on the ground floor who go into the fourth floor or vice versa, not yeah. because of any, You're never. Uh, thing. it was kind of that even round into another wing of the, the building and stuff because it was quite a big, big building. Those um, remoteness was already there. It was already created yeah by that yeah. physics and it doesn't need to be to 20 miles yeah. 40 miles 60 miles 150 miles 2000 yeah. miles it can be a couple of hundred meters and yeah we're inherently not going to um we're going to start behaving different to someone sat on the same bank of desks now the six 100%. desks that you sat yeah. on you get real collaboration you get great stuff if you're collaborating on the same work if you've got six of us sat on the desk doing completely different jobs not intended to be with each other then there's no benefit anyway. It's right. just so right. someone can look and do the head counting and go, oh, we've got six people in there, therefore we're getting six people's worth of work. And That's and the right. other thing that the, the gentleman, I forgot the name that you said there, Simon, was it, that was... Scott Wharton. Scott Morton. I knew it began with S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, were, Scott. Good memory. Yeah. Um, uh, he, <laughs> I, I found that, I, that exact thing, I ended up... Um, with, we had quite a few teams calls um, last year, and what this is carried on. So what I would do, I would go do the school run in the morning. There'd be a call in the morning. I'd have teams on my phone, headset in, walking. Um, I'm very lucky where I am. It's a nice place to walk. Um, contributing to the conversation, listening to what's going there. No distraction except for the occasional robin or something like that scooting past, or a duck on the pond on the on the canal, mm. and then. I would find I was more engaged in the meeting. I gathered more data from the meeting. I contributed better. 
and and actually uh, i think the the longest walk i did one morning was a few meetings because i had the email on my phone in between them 15 minutes just checking a few emails doing a few teams chats and i did a few um one-to-one calls i spent i did uh, three hours i think it was i walked six miles and wow. I, I think it was probably the most productive six miles that i'd had and that incredibly productive morning got solved some real problems with the team they were talking they were it maybe sitting in front of the computer when they were talking about some spreadsheet i might have been able to see the spreadsheet a bit easier but actually right. it, unless it was incredibly and if it was incredibly complicated i would have gone well let's talk about it later but most mm-hmm. of the things where i was able to visualize they were able to explain it better because they had to explain what was on yeah. the screen to me so sometimes they solve the problem themselves <laughs> explaining it, it but yeah and you did six miles of weight-bearing exercise yeah how about that yeah you know Which, that's great yeah and i was i was i was i was actually quite tired at the end of it and it was yeah. like, i sat down at lunchtime <laughs> and i rested at lunchtime but as i say it was a very yeah. productive morning um and i think yeah. you get peaks and drops with that and but it's about that intentionality you talk about of deciding what tool are you going to do to use to do what job yeah, and yeah. in the office environment when we're together some of those different tools, those tools are available to us, but we grab the meeting rooms. The first one we grab, isn't it quite often? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah. nowadays it's the team's meeting. This first one we grab. Yeah. And, a, and everyone's on the team's meeting or everyone's on a CC email. It's that, in, yeah, that practice of deciding what the right tool to achieve the outcome of what you need is good management. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we should be doing that regardless of whether we're face to face, never seeing each other, seeing each other every so often. Yeah. Sat on the top of a mountain. Yeah. Or, or yeah. sat for two days locked in a workshop. It's about that intentionality, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, someone uh, I know said you have to decide if you need a room, a Zoom, or a loom. And I don't know if you've heard of loom, but L O O M is a really easy video platform. So you just, you know, you hit it, you turn it on, you can record yourself talking to your team or talking to a coworker or whatever, and then you get a link, you can easily send it to your team and you don't have to upload, download, edit, you don't have to do any of that. Um, and it's a great, you know, just to be more present with people and just to show your face to people in a really easy way. I mean, I'll, I'll create a loom and I'll send it by email to my team or I'll just stick it on teams on a chat. You know, um, if I've just haven't talked to to people in a while and I want to just show my face. So do you need a room, a zoom or a loom? A room, a zoom or a loom. I'm going to, or a loom. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have a look at that. (laughs) I'll have a look at Loom. It's great. It's a great tool. Yeah. I, cause I, I suppose we, we are moving with the video side. I, I struggle with video, to be honest. I think we talked about this before, about me upload, getting around to uploading stuff onto YouTube. Um, mm. And I know my kids are, quite often they'll be there, they'll be on, uh, whether it's on YouTube Shorts or TikTok or whatever, and sharing a video to me. And I personally, I, I don't consume video very well because probably it's lack of attention um, whereas audio i i'll go for a walk and i can consume audio and i can visualize stuff on that but i actually have quite a visual person but actually watching videos to consume stuff i don't tend to do and i, yeah. I just wonder what you think about this as well is sometimes it's it's grab the latest thing and that's the only way that you communicate with people yeah. and people think oh that's the latest thing we'll do that now and in what what from a remote working point of view and from that what what do you think about different 
styles of people's communication way people like to com- communicate like to consume the yeah. information what sort of things have, have you found with that with the conversations you've had yeah well that's an interesting question because you know, in an office, I don't think I'd really think that hard about how a colleague might consume information from me. But now that the the only way we can have a relationship is through the channels of communication, I think much more deeply about it. And so, for example, I have a colleague who um, really struggles with email. So he'll get an email and he He's confused by it. He has questions. He's it 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 throws up concerns for him, and it ends up just sort of creating a bit of a deeper hole in our relationship in terms of just yeah. where us being on the same page. And I learned this by how he reacted a few times to some emails. And so when I when I observe, so what I would tell people is observe how your communication lands with other people. And if it doesn't land in the way you want, or it creates confusion, then you need to try other ways. And so what I do with this person is we only have, we only have verbal conversations now. So I will either have a quick phone call with him or a quick teams, you know, uh, video call with him, but it has to be a conversation. It has to be verbal because I need more ways to check for his understanding, um, than I can do in an email. Um, and so I, I think you just, you, you communicate, but then you observe how people respond. And I think leaders also have to be conscious of the fact that the larger the group gets, the less truth you're going to get from people. Because especially if you're the most senior person in the meeting, right? If you're the most senior person in the meeting, everyone wants to make sure that you're satisfied with the meeting because you're the most senior person. And for you to be satisfied, they're going to be guarded about what they say, and they will be exponentially more guarded the more people you put into the meeting. So I really try to keep, I I try to have cluster conversations, right? So I will have a one-on-one conversation, but if I need one or two other people, I'll add them in, but that's it. And it's not to exclude other people, but it's just because I find those cluster conversations are much more productive. People are much more honest about their views and it, it helps me as a leader make better decisions. And so you also want to just manage the safety and, and the psychological safety so people can communicate in a way that they're comfortable and they can get everything out that they need to get out. So this is my final wrap up every week you're going to hear this you're going to get bored of it but you can always click next podcast if so um if you have enjoyed it if you've listened to this podcast to the end of this uh show and you think that was great i'd love to be able to help nigel out um there are loads of ways you can do it um the, the first and, and obvious way is to um share the podcast send it out to people um, if you if you know colleagues and friends who'd benefit from it, you think they'd enjoy it, just send them the link. Grab one of the links send, or send them to www.nigelcreaser.com slash podcasts. That's ni- www.nigelcreaser.com slash podcasts. And that will push them over to a, um, a link tree link and it's got all of the different ways they can consume the, the podcast. Uh, if you are feeling generous and have a big bag of cash, you could grab a copy of one of my books. Obviously, um, uh, they're available in all the usual places and 
print and, and, and digital, again, jump on the website, uh, www.nigelcreaser.com slash shop, and that will give you a list of all the different ways that you can contribute um, and, and grab copies of the book. Also got um, links to all my guests' books on there as well, where I get a little bit of a kickback from them. Um, if you are of a sporting mind, um, I have a number through doing some of my uh, judo and, and running uh, antics. Uh, I've managed to secure a few um, uh, affiliate links and affiliates uh, there as well. So in there, somewhere in the sponsors page, there's links to those as well. So clicking onto those and grabbing uh, your if you're with it if you're looking to uh, get super fit, then that would be fabulous as well. And I get a little kickback from those. Uh, I have a Patreon account. It's patreon.com slash Sunday lunch PM. Uh, so again, you can ping something in there, buy me a coffee or whatever. And finally, obviously the most important is coming back, coming back, listen again. Um, because uh, the more of you that come back, uh, the more uh, visibility I get because there's more times that it's downloaded and all the SEO works and things like that. So yeah, that's it. So uh, if you can help me out, I would be much appreciated. If you can't, don't worry about it. Thank you very much. Cheers now. Bye. Well, it's goodbye from me, Nigel Creaser, and it's goodbye from him, the Sunday Lunch PM. Goodbye. Introduction. Hi, and welcome to Project Manager Productivity Hacks. Why write another book on productivity hacks? Are there not enough of them already? The trigger was my interview with Sarah M. Hoban for my podcast, The Sunday Lunch Project Manager Podcast. Plug, plug. Find out more at www.nigelcreaser.com slash Sarah M. Hoban. We talked about improving productivity for project managers, and during the conversation I recalled that a while ago I started a blog post in which I plan to share some ideas that I have used in my career to improve my productivity and get out of the office that little bit earlier. Over the years I have shared these with others, and almost every time I received a positive and enthusiastic response. Having rekindled the idea, I sat down and noted 11 hacks, tips, shortcuts, whatever you want to call them, that I have used over the years. Why 11? Well, it's one more than 10. This book goes up to 11. One for the Spinal Tap fans. I see productivity as remarkably similar to an exercise program. We all start off with good intentions, and some of the changes work great for us and others don't. Some changes stick and become part of our daily life, whereas others are just a real chore. Even the ones we found that work well for us and are straightforward to implement can, under certain circumstances, end up being dropped by us. Sometimes this happens consciously, and sometimes little by little over time. Whether building healthier habits or improving our productivity, it's not just a case of making the changes, and we are done. It takes repeated work. If you find them hard to implement, then they may not be for you in your current situation. If you start using them and end up letting them drift, then start again. Improving our productivity is something many of us strive to achieve, aiming for some kind of efficiency nirvana. Let me tell you, it ain't gonna happen. Perfection is a myth. Give yourself a break. It's a bit like yoga, you can't win at yoga, no matter how bendy you get, you can always be bendier, 
That's the same with personal productivity. You can't win at productivity. You can always be productivier. Ed, is that a word? I have not always been able to apply these hacks successfully, but that is not a reflection of the hacks themselves. It is more about my ability to stick with them, even though I know they work. One last point: as with your fitness regime, trying to make loads of changes at once can spell disaster. I recommend that once you have a read of these hacks, choose one that excites you. Maybe not excites, but seems to resonate, and have a go at it. Once it is second nature to you, move on to the next one that spoke to you. If you find that the first one was not for you, then bin it. Choose another and try that one out, then rinse and repeat. So on with the hacks.